Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Now, I understand today, just because I live with all girls, <laughs> that, uh, that my beginning of this message may or may not at all resonate with some of you or maybe a large number of you. But uh, I, I hope that uh, we'll be able to make the connect uh, before I finish today. In football, there is what's known as a goalpost. You may be seated. (laughs) The goal post structure consists of a horizontal crossbar suspended 10 feet above the ground with two vertical goal posts 18 feet 6 inches apart extending vertically from each end of the crossbar. And this is in, of course, American football. The goals are are centered on each end of the goal line, which spans 100 yards. There is a play in this sport we call football. It's called a field goal. Anybody ever heard of a field goal? Okay, so some of you may not have any clue what I'm talking about right now, and that's fine. There is a, a game later on today called the Super Bowl, and... So, hence, there's a little bit of a tie here going on. But a a field goal is a means of scoring in American football. To score a field goal, the team in possession of the ball must what they call place kick, or even, which you, you don't typically see this done, but you can even drop kick it, where the ball hits the ground first and then you kick it, so that the ball goes up and over and through the goal post and the uprights. And when a team kicks what's called a field goal, they are the recipients of three points. This is as opposed to the point after attempt, which only nets you one in the field goal. When you kick a field goal in American football, you get three points. If the team misses what's called a field goal, the ball then is given to the opposing team and they get to try to march down the field and score. Many times games come down to the wire and are decided by a field goal. My beloved Browns lost several games this past season. Actually, let me, if I were to stop the sentence there, I would say over the last three seasons, they've lost a lot of games. But my beloved Browns lost several games this season because the kicker couldn't make a field goal. October 19th, 2014, Kansas City Chiefs were playing the San Diego Chargers. The game was coming down to the final seconds, and the outcome of the game 
was to be determined by a field goal. Rookie Cario Santos is, he attempts a 48-yard field goal with 21 seconds to play. If he makes the kick, the Chiefs win the game. If he misses, then I believe they tie and go into overtime. So we've got a small clip of this. Santos, strong leg, going right to left. The kick is up, and the kick is good! He got it! Asuche Ebol, Portuguese, for it's up, and it's good! All right. November 25th, 2016, the Detroit Lions were facing the Minnesota Vikings. This classic Thanksgiving game came down to the final seconds, and as Detroit had intercepted the ball with 30 seconds left, the Lions moved the ball down the field and left Matt Prater with a 40-yard field goal. Let's watch. There it is. There's the hole. There's the kick. It's away. It's good. It's good. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. The Lions have won it. How about this team? They're never dead. All right. February 3rd, ironically. February 3rd. Sunday, February 3rd, 2002. Is there a Bible? Did I, did I get in the Bible somewhere? February 3rd, 2002, 17 years ago today, ironically, the New England Patriots faced the St. Louis Rams in Super Bowl 36. Today, 36 years ago, after the then St. Louis Rams tied the score on a touchdown with a minute and 37 seconds left, Tom Brady in his second year of football drove the Patriots 53 yards in eight plays to set up a 48-yard field goal attempt by Patriot kicker Adam Vinatieri. Some of you are like, what world am I living in? I have no clue what these people are talking about. Like I said, there's a game on tonight, and it's the Patriots versus the Rams. And Tom Brady will be represented. Actually, the Patriots are my favorite team. They have been since at least 2002. At least since that long. So Tom Brady sets him up. Patriot kicker Adam Vinatieri is going to go for the win. You're welcome, Nathan. Did we loop it? We didn't know. Don't loop it, please. (laughs) But there's a common expression in all three of those videos. And this morning on Super Team Sunday, I want to speak on this thought, es bueno. Si bon. Das ist gut. It's good. There you go. You're welcome. It's good. Everyone say, it's good. 
farmer went to his banker and announced that he had bad news and good news. First, the bad news. Well, said the farmer, I, can make, I cannot make my mortgage payments, he said to the banker, and that crop loan I've taken out for the past 10 years, I, I can't pay that off either. Not only that, I won't be able to pay you the couple of, hundred of th- hundreds of thousands of dollars I have outstanding on my tractors and other equipment. So I'm going to have to give up the farm and turn it all over to you, and you can salvage whatever you can. Silence prevailed for a minute, and then the banker said, what's the good news? The good news is, the farmer said, that I'm going to keep banking with you. (laughs) Good is just one of those words. There is a considerable variation in how people view the concept of good. The idea of good seems to have this broad meaning. It's just one of those words. Good is a far-reaching word. When you try to nail down the definition of what does good mean, it seems it's almost elusive and certainly has a sense of subjectivity to it. However, it's a word that is more positive than negative, and it lifts more than it tears down. If you look in the dictionary, you'll find a bunch of definitions for good because it kind of has to be explained. Good means of a favorable character or tendency. So you receive good news. Bountiful is, means it's good land. Handsome or attractive is another definition. You're good looking. Suitable or fit, meaning it's good to eat. Free from injury, you have one good arm. Commercially sound, it's a good risk. Something that can be relied on. It's good for another year. It's agreeable or pleasant. It's a good time. It's well-founded, so you give a good reason. It's legally valid, so it's a good title. It conforms to a standard, so it's good English. And sometimes used informally, it is used as having everything desired or required or content and not wanting or needing to do anything further. So do you want anything else to drink? No, I'm good. I often use an informal greeting when I see children or youth in the hallway at the Calvary Academy, and I say, what's up? And they say, good. (laughs) But they are correctly interpreting my statement as, how are you doing? So the answer is good. Good has a definition that includes virtuous and right, means it's good conduct. It's kind, benevolent, good intentions, competent or skillful, a good doctor. Relationally close, they're a good friend. Of the highest worth or well-behaved, it's good as gold. Free from infirmity or sorrow, or as James Brown said, I feel good. (laughs) 
It's also a noun of praiseworthy character, goodness, something useful or beneficial. It's a good thing. Something successfully done or a mission accomplished in sports as it's good. And if you've ever done a word search in Scripture, you'll find the same thing concerning the word good in the Bible. It is used a variety of times and in a variety of ways. It is most common, its most common Hebrew form in the Old Testament is tov. Its most common Greek form in the New Testament is kalos or agathos or Christos. So what does the Bible say about this idea of good? We find that God is the first one to use this expression in Scripture. He uses it in the context of creation. In Genesis 1, verse 10, and God called the dry land earth and the, the gathering together of the waters he called sea, and God saw that it was good. In Genesis 1.12, he brought forth grass and the herb and the, that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself to its kind, and God saw that it was good. He divided the light from the darkness, and he saw that it was good. He, he made the sea creatures, and he made the winged birds, and he said, it's good. And God made the beast of the earth, and he made the cattle and everything that creeps on the earth, and he said, it's good. And then God created humanity. God finished his work and he finished it and he saw, the Bible says in first, or Genesis 1.31, he said, God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. But God knew there was, I think, more goodness to be found. And so God planted a tree in the garden that would be a test of humanity's love for God. In Genesis chapter 2, 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had feared. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Dropping down to verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the, fr the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. It would be then that the serpent comes to Adam or it comes to Eve and says to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And verse 6 says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eye and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. I think what God was allowing, and there's probably a lot of opinions on why God would allow the tree of knowledge of good and evil and what it all means, and I don't pretend to have all the answers, but what I think God was allowing in some way was for humanity to answer the question, would God be enough? It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Would God's knowledge be enough or would I have to reach for something more? Would God's goodness be enough 
or would I accept that he is able to bring goodness into my life in and of himself? The knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, would really be classified in a word called wisdom. God was giving them the opportunity to look at him for all wisdom. It was going to be their choice or whether or not they would reach for something outside of God for goodness. If they would, that they would try to reach for something that would be beyond what God had given them, would they reach for it or would they accept that he is good all by himself? And this is why I believe it is so significant to God that Solomon would ask and pray for wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, the king of Israel now, this is the third king. There was Saul, David, and now Solomon. And it says that God asked him what he would want as king. And now, O Lord, he says, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And the Bible says the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing to know good and evil and have not asked for a long life for yourself, nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have given according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be anyone who arises after you. I have also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. Solomon decides that of all the things he could ask God, in my opinion, he kind of reverts back to a question that Adam and Eve should have asked. God, in all my searching and in all my quest for things, I'm going to ask you, God, for the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to ask you for the knowledge of what things are good in life and what things are not good in life. I'm not going to suppose that I can find goodness on my own. I'm not going to suppose that I could manufacture or intellectualize some way, some good and say that it is good. No, I'm going to look to God for all goodness and all wisdom. That's why I believe James would write, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Can I tell you, James was being nice. If any of you, meaning all of you, all of us lack wisdom. All of us lack the ability to really know the mind of God without God. God is good. God is the one who created good. And so it is him we look to for all goodness. 
And could I submit man is still in search of the knowledge of good and evil. Man is still trying to find good and define good. It's elusive. It's a little bit difficult to try to figure out what is good. Often good is defined by what makes me happy. We say you are good because you have made me happy. You are not good if you have, have not made me happy. This is human goodness. It assumes that happiness equals goodness. And often good is defined only by my present condition. It seeks to only view something as good as it relates to how I feel in the moment. And I would submit that we must not define God's goodness using a temporal lens of goodness. Instead, we must recognize God's goodness through the perspective of eternity. I must understand that God's goodness cannot merely be found with what have you done for me lately mentality. But God's goodness will be experienced in my life when I understand that his goodness reaches beyond my past or even my present. God is not good because he gives me what I want now. God is not good because he keeps me from suffering. God is not good because he protects me and keeps me from difficulties. God is good. He gives me what I can't have without him. He gives me what I cannot achieve without him. That's what makes him good. Here's the reality. I can't experience salvation without him. That's why God is good. I can't experience forgiveness of sins without him. That's why it's good. I can't experience mercy without him. That's why he's good. Oh, hallelujah. Tell somebody next to you, say, it's good. It's good. There's a little saying we like to say in church that says, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. There's a reason for that. The scripture says in Psalms 119.68, you are good and you do good. Psalms 34.8 says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, it's good. See, David would write this great psalm, and he would say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, I'm not just pulling you out of that kind of walk. I'm not just going to cause you to escape from that walk. He's not telling us that he's good because he keeps us from difficult times. But he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My enemies don't disappear. That's not what makes God good. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. But he said, in spite of all of that, in spite of walking
walking through the enemy's camp, in spite of walking through the shadow, uh, the valley of the shadow of death, he says, surely goodness, surely goodness, surely goodness shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's good. It's good. He's good. He's good. Oh, hallelujah. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Oh, hallelujah. When I walk through dark times, goodness is present. When I go through tragedy, goodness is present. When my relationships seem to disappear in thin air, he still says, I'm still good because my mercy is still everlasting. Because he's not looking through it with temporal eyes. He has the big picture in mind. That's why Paul could tell the church in Rome, he said, we know that all things work together for good. Not all things are good. Not everything you walk through is fun. But he said, all things can work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It's good. Hallelujah. When Jesus was born, the angel said to him, do not be afraid. He said to those shepherds, do not be afraid, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Where and why is this good tiding? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's good. It's good. Because Christ came not to just solve a temporal problem in our life, but he solved the eternal problem. So... It's in Romans that Paul would say that we should know that the goodness of God leads to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Psalms chapter 86, 5, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon your name. He's good because he's merciful. He's kind. And so we would find this idea of good news as I come to a close. He says, Paul said in Corinthians, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you this good news. I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which I also was received in and which you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And what was this good news? What was this gospel? That Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. God is good because 
He brings his salvation to all of us. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved and will be saved. And so Paul acknowledges this good news and he said, we must accept that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And this we understand as the gospel message that we, because of God's goodness, can find repentance. We can find a change of heart where we turn towards God. It's because of his goodness and his coming that we can take on his name in the waters of baptism. And it's because of his goodness that we can be filled with his spirit. It's this gospel. It's this good news Paul told the Ephesians, he said, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's good today. I don't know if you're here today and what your story is. I don't know if you've reached for goodness outside of God. You're trying to find good things in your life. We all reach for those things. But I wonder if there would be a spirit of Solomon that would be rest in this place. For you would say, God, of all the things that I could ask for today. Of all the things I could petition you for. God, I need your wisdom in my life. I need your goodness in my life, not a goodness that I've kind of created, not some picture of goodness that I've created because of an American dream, but the goodness that comes from above, that in spite of what I go through, I can still proclaim that he is good, that his goodness and his mercy follow me all the days of my life, and that I can be, have confidence that I can be in the house of the Lord forever. When I think about the mercy of God, I have to say it's good. When I think about the forgiveness and the love that God has for me, I say it's good. I don't deserve it. It's nothing I've done that deserve what he did on the cross, but I can say today it's good. You can stand with me this morning. For those of us who have experienced his goodness, you've experienced the mercy of God. I want to just add this little tag to this message today. Because we have experienced his goodness, has anybody been baptized in his name, filled with his spirit. You've repented of your sins. You've had an experience where you've received the forgiveness of God. Because of that, the Bible says that goodness should come out of our lives. Because we have experienced the goodness of God, goodness should come out of our life. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, 
peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. It's out of the Spirit. This list of the, the fruit of the Spirit, this list of the fruit of the Spirit is not listed because we can manufacture it on our own. Hear me today. He doesn't list love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, because it's something that we can manufacture. He says it's the fruit of the Spirit. It comes out of a life surrendered to the Spirit of God. And so it's out of this, out of this goodness that we have received, that, the, that we in return give thanks And the Bible says it is good to give thanks to the Lord. It's good to give praise to the Lord. But in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You weren't created to just say that you're good. You weren't created just so you can walk around and say, I'm a good person. You were created for good works. You were created to do something with your life. The whole series that we taught on on Wednesdays this last month, if you have not listened to that series, if you weren't able to be with us on Wednesday, I'm imploring you, if you call me your pastor, I'm imploring you to listen to that series. Because we are all called to bless other people. We are called to serve one another. Not to just walk around and say we're good. But the Bible says that Jesus cursed the fig tree because it it looked like it had something that was beneficial to others. It had fig leaves on it that made people think there was fruit on it. But when you got up close, there was nothing it was producing that blessed other people. And he cursed it. Your life should be blessing other people. And so good works should come out of our life. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. I conclude with this. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's the first fruit that should come out of your life is praise to God. But watch what the writer of Hebrews says. Give thanks to God. Praise his name. But do not forget. In all of your church going. In all of your worship, do not forget to do good. Do not forget to share your life with others. And the whole point of this day today, Super Team Sunday, is for all of us to realize we've got good to share with other people. And if you call this your church, I I invite you to be a part of the good that's going on all around us. We're called to do good. And so what team are you on today? It's good. It's a good team. It's God's team. It's his goodness. 
And so before I invite you to come, I'm going to invite you all to come to make a declaration today that you know what? God is good. In spite of what I've been through, God is good. And so when you come to the front today, you're saying it's good. God's goodness is good. But also today when you come to the front, I hope you'll say, you know what? It's good that I do some good in the world. It's good that I, I, I do something with the faith that I've been entrusted with. There's good that God wants to do out of my life. In just a moment, I'm going to invite that. But I want you to pray right now with me. God, I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, God, for your goodness. God, the mercy that's represented in this room, the stories. God, the incredible journey that so many in this room have been on. God, if they were to tell their story today, it might, God, be difficult to hear because they've come so far in you, but your goodness has prevailed in their life. Your mercy has prevailed in their life. When the enemy told them that, they, that what they had done was unforgivable and when the enemy had told them that they had thrown away their life, your, your mercy reached and your mercy walked and your goodness walked with them. In the valley of the shadow of death, uh, in the enemy's camp, Lord, your goodness kept following them. And God, we give you praise for that today. With the fruit of our lips, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory today. You are good. You are good. And Lord, I'm praying there would be not an unholy weight or a, 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 a yoke that's too heavy, but I pray a yoke would fall on us today. God, you said your yoke is easy, your burden is light, but I pray something would tie us to your vision and to your mission today that we are not content to just sit in the pew and watch church go by, but I pray we would seek to do good, that we would seek to get involved and to do good in this world. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.